Part three of Sarah Crew, or What Happened at Miss Minchin's Boarding School. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah and Gracia Partial. Sarah Crew, or What Happened at Miss Minchin's Boarding School, by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Part three. Sometimes, after she had supposed these things for half an hour, she would feel almost warm, and would creep into bed with Emily, and fall asleep with a smile on her face. "'What large downy pillows!' she would whisper. "'What white sheets and fleecy blankets!' And she almost forgot that her real pillows had scarcely any feathers in them at all, and smelled musty, and that her blankets and coverlid were thin and full of holes. At another time she would suppose that she was a princess, and then she would go about the house with an expression on her face, which was a source of great secret annoyance to Miss Minchin, because it seemed as if the child scarcely heard the spiteful, insulting things said to her, or if she heard them, did not care for them at all. Sometimes, while she was in the midst of some harsh, cruel speech, Miss Minchin would find the odd, unchildish eyes fixed upon her with something like a proud smile in them. At such times, she did not know that Sarah was saying to herself, You don't know you are saying these things to a princess, and that if I choose, I could wave my hand and order you to execution. I only spare you because I am a princess, and you are a poor, stupid old vulgar thing and don't know any better. This used to please and amuse her more than anything else, and queer and fanciful as it was, she found comfort in it, and it was not a bad thing for her. It really kept her from being made rude and malicious by the rudeness and malice of those about her. A princess must be polite, she said to herself, and so when the servants, who took their tone from their mistress, were insolent and ordered her about, she would hold her head erect and reply to them, sometimes in a way which made them stare at her. It was so quaintly civil. I am a princess in rags and tatters, she would think, but I am a princess inside. It would be easy to be a princess if I were dressed in cloth of gold. It is a great deal more of a triumph to be one all the time when no one knows it. There was Marie Antoinette, when she was in prison, and her throne was gone, and she had only a black gown on, and her hair was white. They insulted her. She was a great deal more like a queen, then, than when she was so gay and had everything grand. I like her best then. Those howling mobs of people did not frighten her. She was stronger than they were, even when they cut her head off. Once. When such thoughts were passing through her mind, the look in her eyes so enraged Miss Minchin that she flew at Sarah and boxed her ears. Sarah awakened from her dream, started a little, then broke into a laugh. "'What are you laughing at, you bold, impudent child?' exclaimed Miss Minchin. It took Sarah a few seconds to remember she was a princess. Her cheeks were red and smarting from the blows she had received. I was thinking, she said. Beg my pardon immediately, 
said Miss Minchin. I will beg your pardon for laughing, if it was rude, said Sarah, but I won't beg your pardon for thinking. What were you thinking? demanded Miss Minchin. How dare you think? What were you thinking? This occurred in the schoolroom, and all the girls looked up from their books to listen. It always interested them when Miss Minchin flew at Sarah, because Sarah always said something queer, and never seemed in the least frightened. She was not in the least frightened now, though her boxed ears were scarlet, and her eyes were as bright as stars. I was thinking, she answered gravely and quite politely, that you did not know what you are doing. That I did not know what I was doing? Miss Minchin fairly gasped. Yes, said Sarah, and I was thinking what would happen if I were a princess and you boxed my ears, what I should do to you, and I was thinking that if I were one, you would never dare to do it, whatever I said or did, and I was thinking how surprised and frightened you would be if you suddenly found out. She had the imagined picture so clearly before her eyes that she spoke in a manner which had an effect even on Miss Minchin and it seemed for the moment to her narrow, unimaginative mind that there must be some real power behind this candid daring. What? she exclaimed. Found out what? That I really was a princess, said Sarah, and could do anything, anything I liked. Go to your room, cried Miss Minchin breathlessly. This instant, leave the schoolroom. Attend to your lessons, young ladies. Sarah made a little bow. Excuse me for laughing, if it was impolite, she said, and walked out of the room, leaving Miss Minchin in a rage and the girls whispering over their books. I wouldn't be at all surprised if she did turn out to be something, said one of them. Suppose she should. That very afternoon, Sarah had the opportunity of proving herself whether she really was a princess or not. It was a dreadful afternoon. For several days it had rained continuously. The streets were chilly and sloppy. There was mud everywhere, sticky London mud, and over everything, a pall of fog and drizzle. Of course, there were several long and tiresome errands to be done. There always were on days like this. And Sarah was sent out again and again until her shabby clothes were damp through. The absurd old feathers on her forlorn hat were more draggled and absurd than ever, and her downtrodden shoes were so wet they could not hold any more water. Added to this, she had been deprived of her dinner, because Miss Minchin wished to punish her. She was very hungry. She was so cold and hungry and tired that her little face had a pinched look, and now and then some kind-hearted person passing her in the crowded street gazed at her with some sympathy. But she did not know that. She hurried on, trying to comfort herself in that queer way of hers by pretending and supposing. But really this time it was harder than she had ever found it, and once or twice she thought it almost made her more cold and hungry instead of less so. But she preserved obstinately. Suppose I had dry clothes on, she thought. Suppose I had good shoes and a long, thick coat, merino stockings, and a whole umbrella. And suppose, suppose, just when I was near a baker's, 
where they sold hot buns i should find sixpence which belonged to nobody suppose if i did i should go into the shop and buy six of the hottest buns and should eat them all without stopping some very odd things happen in this world sometimes it certainly was an odd thing which happened to sarah she had to cross the street just as she was saying this to herself the mud was dreadful she almost had to wade she picked her way as carefully as she could but she could not save herself much only in picking her way she had to look down at her feet and the mud and in looking down just as she reached the pavement she saw something shining in the gutter a piece of silver a tiny piece trodden upon by many feet but still with enough spirit to shine a little not quite a sixpence but the next thing to it a four-penny piece in one second it was in her cold little red and blue hand oh she gasped it is true and then if you will believe me she looked straight before her at the shop directly facing her and it was a baker's and a cheerful stout motherly woman with rosy cheeks was just putting into the window a tray of delicious hot buns large plump shiny buns with currants in them it almost made sarah feel faint for a few seconds the shock and the sight of the buns and the delightful odors of warm bread floating up through the baker's cellar window she knew that she need not hesitate to use this little piece of money it had evidently been lying in the mud for some time and its owner was completely lost in the streams of passing people who crowded and jostled each other all through the day but i'll go and ask the baker's woman if she has lost a piece of money she said to herself rather faintly so she crossed the pavement and put her wet foot on the step of the shop and as she did she saw something which made her stop it was a little figure more forlorn than her own a little figure which was not much more than a bundle of rags from which small bare red and muddy feet peeped out only because the rags with which the wearer was trying to cover them were not long enough above the rags appeared a shock head of tangled hair and a dirty face with big hollow hungry eyes sarah knew they were hungry eyes the moment she saw them and she felt a sudden sympathy she said to herself with a little sigh is one of the populace and she is hungrier than i am the child this one of the populace stared up at sarah and shuffled herself aside a little so as to give her more room she was used to being made to give room to everybody she knew that if a policeman chanced to see her he would tell her to move on sarah clutched her little four-penny piece and hesitated a few seconds then she spoke to her are you hungry she asked the child shuffled herself and her rags a little more ain't i jist she said in a hoarse voice jist ain't i have you had any dinner said sarah no dinner more hoarsely still and with more shuffling nor yet no breakfast nor yet no supper nor nothing since when asked sarah dunno never got nothing to-day nowhere i've asked and asked just to look at her made sarah more hungry and faint but those queer little thoughts were at work in her brain 
and she was always talking to herself as though she was sick at heart. If I'm a princess, she was saying, if I'm a princess, when they were poor and driven from their thrones, they always shared populace. If they met one poorer and hungrier, they always shared buns are a penny each. If it had been a sixpence, I could have eaten six. It won't be enough for either of us, but it will be better than nothing. Wait a minute, she said to the beggar child. She went into the shop. It was warm and smelled delightfully. The woman was just going to put more hot buns in the window. If you please, said Sarah, have you lost fourpence, a silver fourpence? And she held the forlorn little piece of money out to her. The woman looked at it and at her, at her intense little face, and draggled one's fine clothes. Bless us, no, she answered. Did you find it? In the gutter, said Sarah. Keep it then, said the woman. It may have been there a week, and goodness knows who lost it. You could never find out. I know that, said Sarah, but I thought I'd ask you. Not many would, said the woman, looking puzzled and interested and good-natured all at once. Do you want to buy something? She added as she saw Sarah glance toward the buns. Four buns, if you please, said Sarah. Those at a penny each. The woman went to the window and put some in a paper bag. Sarah noticed that she put in six. I said four, if you please, she explained. I only have four pence. I'll throw in two for make-weight, said the woman with her good-natured look. I dare say you can eat them some time. Aren't you hungry? A mist rose before Sarah's eyes. Yes, she answered. I am very hungry, and I am much obliged to you for your kindness, and, she was going to add, there's a child outside who is hungrier than I am. But just at that moment, two or three customers came in, and each one seemed in a hurry, so she could only thank the woman again and go out. The child was still huddled up on the corner of the steps. She looked frightful in her wet and dirty rags. She was staring with a stupid look of suffering straight before her, and Sarah saw her suddenly draw the back of her roughened black hand across her eyes to rub away the tears which seemed to have surprised her by forcing their way from under her lids. She was muttering to herself. Sarah opened the paper bag and took out one of the hot buns, which had already warmed her cold hands a little. See, she said, putting the bun on the ragged lap. That is nice and hot. Eat it, and you will not be so hungry. The child started and stared up at her, and then she snatched the bun and began to cram it into her mouth with great wolfish bites. Oh my, oh my! Sarah heard her say hoarsely in wild delight. Oh my! Sarah took out three more buns and put them down. She is hungrier than I am, she said to herself. She's starving. But her hand trembled when she put down the fourth bun. I'm not starving, she said, and she put down the fifth. The little starving London savage was still snatching and devouring when she turned away. She was too ravenous to give any thanks even if she had been taught politeness, which she had not. She was only a poor little wild animal. Goodbye, said Sarah. When she had reached the other side of the street, she looked back. The child had a bun in both hands and had stopped in the middle of a bite to watch her. Sarah gave her a little nod, and the child, after another stare, a curious longing stare, 
jerked her shaggy head in response and until sarah was out of sight she did not take another bite or even finish the one she had begun at that moment the baker woman glanced out of her shop window well i never she exclaimed if that young un hasn't given her bonds to a beggar child it wasn't because she didn't want them either well well she looked hungry enough i'd give something to know what she did it for she stood behind her window for a few minutes and pondered then her curiosity got the better of her she went to the door and spoke to the beggar child who gave you those buns she asked her the child nodded her head towards sarah's vanishing figure what did she say inquired the woman asked me if i was hungry replied the hoarse voice what did you say said i was just and then she came in and got buns and came out and gave them to you did she the child nodded how many five the woman thought it over left just one for herself she said in a low voice and she could have eaten the whole six i saw it in her eyes she looked after the little draggled faraway figure and felt more disturbed in her usual comfortable mind than she had felt for many a day i wish she hadn't gone so quick she said i'm blessed if she shouldn't have had a dozen then she turned to the child are you hungry yet she said i'm all as hungry was the answer but it ain't so bad as it was come in here said the woman and she held open the shop door the child got up and shuffled in to be invited into a warm place full of bread seemed an incredible thing she did not know what was going to happen she did not care even get yourself warm said the woman pointing to a fire in a tiny back room and look here when you're hard up for a bite of bread you can come in here and ask for it i'm blessed if i won't give it to you for that young un's sake sarah found some comfort in her remaining bun it was hot and it was a great deal better than nothing she broke off small pieces and ate them slowly to make it last longer suppose it was a magic bun she said and a bite was as much as a whole dinner i should be overeating myself if i went on like this end of part three read by sarah and gracia partial sarahpartial.blogspot.com on april twelfth two thousand thirteen in naples new york